Well, Job is probably thinking with friends like these, who needs enemies? Job was a disaster. He had lost everything. Job had lost everything. He'd lost his livelihood. He'd lost his children. He'd pretty much lost his wife. He'd lost his health. And now last week we saw he's lost his friends. They're not the friends that he thought they were. They started well. At the end of chapter 2 of the book of Job, his friends did start well. They just sat quietly with him for seven days. Just took care of him. I mean, what could you say to someone who had suffered the way Job had suffered? So they just sat with him quietly. But then they started talking. They opened their mouths. They shouldn't have. It was downhill. It was downhill once they did that. They probably had good intentions. I think they did. I think they had good intentions. I, I do think they cared about Job. But they, they definitely overestimated their grasp of truth. They, the truth that they did know, they misapplied to Job. They... They made some very wrong assumptions about Job and about God. And they really insensitively just tried to solve Job's suffering. Rather than just sit with him and help him stand under the weight of all the pain that he was going through. They tried to solve it. So they said something to Job like this. Job, it's, it's really simple what's happening to you right now. God is punishing you for something. That's why it's not going well. So their advice to him was figure out what it is that you've done against God and say sorry and you'll get back everything that you've lost. That's the insensitive counsel that they, they give him. Because his friends believed with, that without exception, the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. Just across the board, that was their simple understanding of justice. Hey, you're wicked, you're going to suffer. And if you're good, you're going to prosper. So Job, your suffering is great, therefore... Your sin must be great. Your wickedness must be great. Well, Job denies it over and over again. He denies that he's, he says, I'm not hiding anything from you. And so the friends think that it's going to take really hard words to break the ice here. We've got to break through his cold, hard heart. There's something he's hiding. And so it's going to be up to us to say some really hard things to him and maybe in some really hard ways. And so they let Job have it. There were three speeches from Eliphaz and Bildad and two speeches from Zophar. And we looked at those words last week. And we agreed with 
Job's assessment of their words when he said in chapter 16, verse 2, you guys are miserable comforters. They were. So we have in chapters 4 through 27, those are the chapters we're looking at last week and this week, we, we have 24 chapters of emotionally charged speeches as Job took blow after blow after blow from his friends. He was their punching bag. And as you read, you, you, you see that, you feel that. He's just getting punched over and over and over again. But today, we're going to look and see that Job punches back. He doesn't just receive their punches. He also gives back punches. He responded to each and every one of the speeches that were given by his companions. And so his words are the subject of our study today. So last week we looked at what the friends had to say, and now let's look at how Job responds. And as we do that, we will be heading toward one passage in particular in chapter 19. Job Job will say something in chapter 19 that in all of the words of faithful men and women in the Old Testament, these words of Job in chapter 19 rank at the very top. What he's going to say in chapter 19. So let me read the words now again and then we should pray together. This is from chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. This is ultimately where we'll be headed as we study the words of Job. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Please bow your heads with me. Our Father in heaven, help us to get from your word today whatever it is that you have for us. If we need to be encouraged, God, would you encourage us? If we need to be challenged, would you challenge us. If there's something we don't know that we need to know, we pray that we would know it today. If there's something we need to do that we would do it. God, may we not leave this place today unchanged. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we listen to Job's words, In these 24 chapters, we hear just about everything that you would expect to hear from a man in Job's condition. So let me give you a sampling of his words so that you have an understanding of what Job is thinking and what he is feeling. We know what he's going through. We know what his friends have said. What's he thinking? How's he processing all that? What is he feeling? Let me give you a sampling. So number one, he's upset with his friends. 
Job is upset with his friends. Chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. As for you, he says to his friends, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. He's upset with them. Chapter 21, verse 34. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. And then listen to his sarcasm in chapter 26, verses 2 and 3. Sarcasm is not a new thing. Listen to what he says sarcastically. How you have helped him who has no power. How you have saved the arm that has no strength. How you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge. He doesn't mean that. It's a jab. He's he's upset with them. You guys are miserable. You guys are worthless. You're not helpful. His friends assume the very worst of him, right? They assume the worst of him and so... He is, he's forced by them into a, a defensive posture with the uncomfortable task of justifying himself. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to talk about how great he is and how righteous he is, but he knows, he knows in his heart that he's not guilty of something that is deserving this sort of divine punishment. He knows his friends are wrong. So he defends himself. In 921, he says simply, I am blameless. And in 10, 6 and 7, you seek out my iniquity and you search for my sin, although you know that I am not guilty. And again in 27.5, far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Do you hear what he's doing? He's upset with his friends. They're assuming the worst and he's justifying himself. He's defending himself. I'm not hiding something. I'm telling you, I'm not perfect. But I haven't done something to deserve divine retribution. There's no secrets. And of course, we know, the readers of Job, you and me, we know that Job has every right to be upset with his friends. Because Job is in the right. And his friends are wrong. Even God himself said of Job in chapter 1, verse 8, there is none like him on the earth. He is blameless and upright. He fears God and he turns away from evil. So they're wrong. Job knows it. So he's upset with his friends. Number two, he's upset with God. He's upset with God. Chapter 30, verse 21. To God, he says, You have turned cruel to me. He says to God. God, you have turned cruel to me. 
with the might of your hand, you persecute me. And in chapter 7, verse 20 and 21, if I sin, God, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? And then he says this, for now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, God, but I shall not be. You hear what he's saying to God? You'll be sorry when I'm gone. I'm going to die here. You're going to look for me, and I'm going to be gone. He's upset with God. Number three, he feels trapped. Let me try to explain this. I want you to see this. Job feels trapped. Like he has nowhere to go. He's like a caged animal. He has nowhere to go. He has nowhere to turn. There's no solace. There's no one who will listen. He has no recourse. He has no one to appeal to. He's trapped. His children are dead. I don't think his wife is listening to him. His friends are not listening to him. And God is distant from him. So where's he going to go? Not only is God distant and seemingly disinterested, but Job is also, Job is not confident if given the chance that he could even stand before God and defend himself. Here's the trap that I really want you to see in Job's words. So it's like this. So imagine you're Job. From his perspective, he, he wants to stand before God and plead his case to him. Like, God, you're, you're allowing these things to happen to me. You're doing these things to me. You're, you're making, you're causing me to suffer and And I'm innocent. I'm not deserving of this. So you hear in his words that he wants to stand before God and he wants to make his case to God that he is innocent of any sin that is deserving this. But, so he wants to stand before God and make that case, but he knows that he's still a sinner and therefore he can't stand before a holy God. So he's, you feel that? He's stuck. He's trapped. I mean, I feel like I've got a good case before God, but he's, he's God. And I'm a, I'm a sinner. So even if I haven't done something that deserves this thing, I've, I've still done a lot of things. I can't stand before a holy God and try to justify. I mean, I can do it to my friends, but not before God. But don't take my word for that. Listen to how he He says that in chapter 9. Listen to his words in verses 2 through 4, and then 14 and 15, and then 19 and 20. Hear this, I'm trapped language. Truly, I know that it is so. In other words, I have a case, I'm innocent. I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? 
If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. He goes on. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. Do you hear that? He's just, he's trapped. I'm innocent, I'm I'm blameless, but if I'm standing before God making my case, I can't, I can't talk like that. I could do that with my friends, but I cannot stand before God. And so, here's the next step of that, he feels trapped. He actually out loud wishes that there was some sort of mediator. I've got a case, but I cannot take my case to God. So he's just throwing stuff out there. Like, I wish there was a mediator. Remember, Job does not know what you know, Christian. He had like a pinpoint of light compared to the floodlight that a Christian has today. I don't know if he had anything. Just a pinpoint of light, pinpoint of truth from God. And he's just saying, I I wish there was a mediator. I wish I had an advocate. I wish there was a redeemer. I wish there was someone who could plead my case before God. That's what he says in chapter 9, verse 32 and 33. God is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. That's what he's longing for. So he feels trapped. There's nowhere to go with his case. And then lastly, number four, he feels afraid. He's upset with his friends. He's upset with God. He feels trapped. And he feels afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of suffering? I don't think so. I mean, it's too late for that. He is suffering. Afraid of dying? I don't think he's afraid of dying. He wants to die. Job has said that. He wants to die. After reading his words over and over again, after thinking about Job's words, I believe that Job is afraid of losing God. That's what he's afraid of. Let me show you. He's afraid of losing God. His whole life, God has been his friend. His whole life he has trusted God. He has loved 
God. He has delighted in God. And now he's struggling to love God. He's struggling to delight in God. He's struggling to trust God. God actually feels unlovable to him. God feels untrustworthy to him. That's what he's expressing. And his whole life he's trusted God and loved God and delighted in God. And now his relationship with God has become hostile. I mean, he can handle that from his wife. He can handle that from his friends. But now his relationship with God feels hostile. What if God is not the God Job thought he was? That's what Job's wrestling with. What if he's a monster? What if he's not good? Christian, can you imagine that thought? What if God was not good? What if God was wicked? What if God was enjoying the suffering and the pain that Job was enduring? That thought terrifies Job. Chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Job says to God, only grant me two things. Then I will not hide myself from your face. What are the two things? He says this. Withdraw your hand far from me. And let not dread of you terrify me. She says, take your hand from me. Please stop inflicting me. Stop afflicting me. Stop putting me through this. But then he says, God, grant me this. Let not dread of you terrify me. You see? He's growing terrified of God. He's afraid of this. He is growing terrified of the God he has always loved and trusted and delighted in. And he's starting to dread him. Also, what if the pain and doubt become so great that Job follows his wife's advice and denies God? He's afraid of this. Chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. He's afraid of losing his faith. Afraid of losing his God. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope. That it would please God to crush me. She says, oh, that God would kill me now. That he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort I would even exult in pain unsparing for, why? Why do you want to die? For I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Not yet, 
Job is saying. Oh, that God would come and end this suffering and kill me because to this point, I have not denied his words. But I feel as though I'm about to deny his words. I'm growing terrified of God. I'm struggling to trust God. It doesn't feel like he's good to me anymore. And I'm afraid that if I live another week, if I live another month, I might curse God and then die. I might deny him and lose him. So what's his prayer? God, take me. Take me now. But God's word gets us into the mind and heart of Job, doesn't it? So that's what Job is thinking. That's what Job is feeling. He's upset with his friends. He's upset with God. He feels trapped. He's afraid of losing God. He's afraid of losing his faith. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. So I would say that it's not looking good for Job. This looks like Satan is winning. Isn't that what he said to God? Oh God, if you stop protecting Job and let me cause him to suffer, he'll buckle. You're not that good, God. That's the wager. He'll deny you. So as we're reading through Job, I mean, we wonder, is Job going to survive this? I mean, the suffering and now hearing his words. He is so confused right now. He is so confused. This makes absolutely no sense for Job. Why, God? Why? How in the world is this for my good and your glory? Are, are you kidding me, God? Is that some kind of joke? You don't have a better way to work for my good? You don't have a better way to be glorified? Are you kidding me? You, you got to take my kids and my wife and my friends and my livelihood. And now I'm, I'm here skin and bones. I'm just bleeding out. And I'm supposed to just keep on loving you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and keep trusting you and I'm supposed to delight in you right now, God? This makes no sense at all. It doesn't. You think you'd be better than Job? You think you'd be going through that and saying, oh, this makes perfect sense. I totally get it. Of course it's for my good and his glory. Glory up. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good baloney 
you're not going to feel that way. Because faith is tested. I mean, is, is Job going to, is he going to cleave to God? He's been doing this his whole life. And Satan's saying, no, not anymore. Is Job going to cleave to God when there is nothing, I mean zero, externally attracting him to God right now? I mean, there is zero externally that is attracting Job to God. Only everything to repel him from God. Satan has built for Job a faith-killing machine, and Job is deep inside of it right now. He's closed in on every side. There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to turn. Not to his kids, not to his servants, not to his wife, not even to his God. He feels totally alone and abandoned. So again, how can Job, crushed beneath what appears to him to be God's arbitrary inflictions, love God, trust God, delight in God, how how is love going to get through that? How's faith going to get through that? How is delight going to get through that? So what will Job do? You feel the suspense? We felt it back in chapter 1 and 2 when trouble first came Job's way, right? And Satan was probably wringing his hands as even Job's wife plays right into it and says exactly what Satan wants Job to do. Why don't you just curse God and die? And, And Satan's thinking, here we go. You watching, God? And Job amazed us in chapter 1 and then again in chapter 2, even after his health was taken, just saying, hey, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What, are we just going to accept the good that comes our way and not accept the evil that comes our way? No, God is good. His faith triumphed. But what about now? This is way worse. This is way worse. Months have gone by. I mean, don't you ever feel like, uh, I can endure this for a while. I can have faith, but when you say that, you're assuming, well, you know, like for another week or two, or maybe a month if it's really crazy, but that's what you mean. And if you think past that, whatever it is that you're enduring or you've endured, you're thinking, hey, if this goes longer than whatever, I'm not going to make it. Have you ever felt like that? I've felt like that. I can handle this for a while. But if it gets worse, or if this happens, or if I lose that, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm done. I'm pretty sure my faith is done. I'm pretty sure I'm walking away. I don't think I can handle that. Well, here Job is. We're months into this now. It's gotten worse for him. So what will Job do? So look, he does two things. He does two things. And I want you to see one in chapter 16 and then one in chapter 19, where we're ultimately headed. 
How's he going to respond? Number one. Job takes refuge in his enemy. Number one, Job takes refuge in his enemy. Now, if you could see my outline right now, you'd see that the word enemy is in quotes. Job takes refuge in his enemy. God is not Job's enemy. But to Job, it feels as though God is his enemy. So listen to chapter 16. It feels to Job like God is his enemy. Is that what you hear when I read verses 6 through 9 of chapter 16? If I speak, my pain is not assuaged. And if I forbear, how much of it leaves me? Surely now God has worn me out. He has made desolate all my company, and he has shriveled me up, which is a witness against me. And my leanness has risen up against me. It testifies to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. So, Job feels like God has become his enemy. And yet, Job takes refuge in God. This is fascinating. Just a few verses later, in chapter 16, listen to verses 19 and 20. Now remember what Job just said about his relationship with God. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. My friends scorn me. My eye pours out tears to God. Job is pouring out his tears to God. Job is taking refuge in God. The God he just said that has torn me. And hated me. And is gnashing his teeth at me. I take refuge, Job says, in that God. I pour out my eyes. I pour out my tears. I am pleading with and crying out to this God. So he takes refuge in his enemy. Or he says it like this in chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. You hear that? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Even if he kills me, 
I'm still going to hope in him. I don't know if that's striking you the way it struck me this week. He feels like God is his enemy, and yet he's taking refuge in God. This is what William Henry Green said. It would seem as though everything conspired to show that God was persecuting him and treating him as an enemy. Yet from an angry God, he can turn nowhere but back to God himself, in whom he does and must confide in spite of his apparent hostility. God is still his only refuge, even from the fierceness of his own displeasure. Let me read that last sentence again. For Job, God is still his only refuge, even from the fierceness of his own displeasure. So it's like Job is taking refuge from God in God. He's running from God to God. That's what we're finding in Job. It's like the apostles saying to Jesus, where else are we going to go? There's nowhere else to go. Whoever you are, God, I'm coming to you. I need refuge. I need help. I need to be saved, and there's nowhere to go but to you, God. So what does this look like for you and for me? What does this sound like? And I think it works like this. God, I don't get it, but I love you. God, I don't understand this, but I trust you. That's faith. I don't get it, but I love you. Where else would I go? Faith cannot help itself. Faith always takes you to God. Faith is unconquerable in that way. It's indomitable in that way. Faith overcomes even sense and takes you to God. And here it's doing that so clearly with Job. So that's the first thing that Job does. He takes refuge in his enemy. And then number two, he affirms his faith in God. He affirms his faith in God. So this is what Job does in chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Jeff read it to us. I read it at the beginning. I said, this is where we're going. There's, there's nothing like what Job says in those verses anywhere else in the, in the entire book of Job. There's very little like it in the entire Old Testament. So, I want you to really, as best you can, grasp the weight of what Job says in those verses. And people have been writing songs from 
ever since. So I want to take just a few minutes and set it up to set us up to, to hopefully get maximum impact from what Job says in chapter 19. So to set it up, I, I just want to take you to two other passages, one in chapter 14 and one in chapter 17. Listen to what Job says. First, see in chapter 14 that Job is hoping for a a day when everything will be made right. And that's, that's about it. It's really just that general and that fuzzy for him. But he's just hoping, I want you to see in chapter 14, that that someday things are going to be right, that there's, there's a day somewhere in the future where all this is going to be undone or made up to me or clear. And it's just, he's just wishing that. Chapter 14, verse 14 and following. Here I'm wondering about that day in the future. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service, I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. For then, there's, he's looking forward to that day, if there is a day like that. For then, you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag. And you would cover over my iniquity. He's just this, this pinpoint of light. He, he, just, he just knows very basic things. God is in control, and God is good and just, and, and God loves him, but nothing in his life feels that way. So it's just this wishful thinking, like, I don't know, maybe there will someday be a day when my sin will be sealed up in a bag. And you would cover over all my iniquity. Do you hear him just cast? He's just throwing it out there. You can say that and you stand on something. He didn't have that. So he's hoping for a day. And then in chapter 17. He's hoping for a person to make things right. So here are these longings, right? He's longing for a day when things will be made right. And then he's, he's longing for a person who will make things right. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. Surely there are mockers about me, and my eye dwells on their provocation. Lay down a pledge for me with you. Who is there who will put up security for me? Did you hear it again? Who is, he doesn't know. He doesn't know who it could be. He doesn't, he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that. He's just crying out, 
Is there someone who could lay up security for me? Is there someone who could be a mediator? Is there someone who could advocate for me? Is there someone who on some day will vindicate me? Who will redeem me? Who will save me? Now. Now we're ready for what Job says in chapter 19 as he affirms his faith. Almost out of nowhere, he is no longer wondering about a day or a person. He is certain of it. And he affirms his faith. But first, listen to his desperate words in chapter 19, just before this great cry of faith. I'll read all these verses to you. It's worth it. To God, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces? I'm sorry, this part to his friends. And break me in pieces with words. These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. And my hope has he pulled up like a tree. He's kindled his wrath against me. He counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He's put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants come to me as a stranger. I've become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant. He gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Oh, my heart faints within me. Where did that come from? If I read that right, Hopefully you felt that. 
When he says in verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer, where did that come from? He just went on his longest and most intense rant of despair in the entire book. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this great proclamation. Where did that come from? The answer is faith. Faith. That's where it came from. What is he saying in these words? He is saying with certainty, a day is coming. A redeemer is coming. He doesn't know when. He doesn't know who. But he is absolutely certain. You know what just happened in chapter 19? Faith just won. That's what just happened. You know, Satan's probably watching. Chapter 19, verses 25 through 27 are the decisive blow. He's going to still struggle. We'll see that in weeks to come. Of course. It's not like now he's immune to all the pain in his life. But this right here, faith has triumphed. In Job. So he feels like God is his enemy and despairs, but he knows God is his friend, and so he hopes. So he feels like God is his enemy, which leads him to despair. But at the end of the day, he believes that God is his friend and he hopes. You cannot keep this guy down. Or anyone whom God has gifted faith. That's what's so amazing about your faith, by the way. That's what's so powerful about your faith. It's the object of your faith. Your faith itself is a gift from God. Satan just can't win. You see him shaking his head. Job just keeps getting back up. He's like Rocky. Have you seen the movie Rocky? I think it's about time I show my boys the movie Rocky. One of the greatest movies of all time. All like 20 of them. Hey, Mr. T's in one of them. They're all good. And he actually, truly now, he actually says profound things. But he's like Job. And he said once when he's having this conversation with his son, Rocky Balboa is having this conversation with his son. And I love what he says to his son. He says, son, it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That's Job. That's Job. It takes a beating, and you can't keep him down. 
And they're in chapter 19. I mean, did you feel that? He's against the ropes. He's down on the ground. It's like Satan is towering over him. I mean, he, this, is just, this is just his death cry going out, wasn't it? I mean, he's giving up. Here we go. And then all of a sudden, and Job has been saying the whole book, I don't know. I don't know. Why? 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 I don't know anything. And then finally he says, I know. I know that my Redeemer lives. You could translate it like this. I have an ever-living and almighty Redeemer who will rescue me from wrong and defend me against everything, who will certainly and in spite of all present appearances reveal himself to me as my friend and to whom therefore with implicit confidence I entrust my cause. He doesn't know who the Redeemer is. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He has no idea what the cross is. He doesn't know how he will be redeemed. But he knows that God is good. And he knows that God will stand by his side on the last day. One commentator said, brought as it might seem that he was almost to the point of abandoning it, the strength of that trust only becomes more conspicuous from the strain to which it has been subjected. By its powerful recoil, it carries him suddenly back from the verge of the abyss to the immovable foundation. That's faith. Like a slingshot. It's like a slingshot. You pull this slingshot with these rubber bands back as far as you can. As far as you can to the point where it feels like what's going to happen. It feels like it's going to break. It's a good slingshot. It's not going to break. You couldn't pull it back far. But it feels like you're just to the breaking point. And that's where the maximum power is. The recoil just snaps back. This is the recoil of our faith. Now, in the future, your faith is going to be stretched. You're going to be pulled so far back. Now you're pretty certain you're going to snap. But if you are in Christ, that's impossible. And your faith will triumph. Isaiah 42, 3, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He gets close, though, doesn't he? <laughs> he doesn't break it, but that reed, it gets close to breaking. And that flame is just, just barely there sometimes. But he's not going to allow the flame to go out. 
He's not going to allow that reed to be broken. He's good. So I'll close with this quote from David Atkinson. Faith for Job is the gift which God has given him to enable him to go on living in his uncertainties. Faith does not provide answers, but it is a hand in the darkness keeping alive that trust that despite all appearances, God is still on his side. Let's pray. Oh, our Father in heaven, would you increase our faith? God, we, we want to trust you like this. We, we want to be able to withstand anything and everything. We want to be proven faithful so that you will be glorified. We, we want... We want to trust you and love you in spite of difficult circumstances. We want to do that in front of our family. We want to do that in front of the world so that, so that our family knows, so that the, our, our churches know, so that the world knows how great you are, God. That we can, we can make it through anything. So for God, God, for those of us who are suffering, for those of us who are not suffering... God, will you become even greater to us? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.